Welcome back to a Sweet 16 edition of Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I am ecstatic to be back talking some college hoops. As a reminder, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And don't forget to leave a five-star review. I would really appreciate it. You can also follow me on Twitter, at GorgOnSports. So let's get started today the only place we can, and that's with Thursday night's Sweet 16 action. You had two number one seeds go down in Gonzaga and Arizona. Villanova finally ended Michigan's run from the first four, ensuring they would not be this year's UCLA. And well, Coach K will continue to coach Duke for at least another game. Uh, But I want to get started in the West region because I thought those were the two most interesting games of the night. And the first one out West in San Francisco was Gonzaga versus Arizona. And I was somebody who... I, I was on Gonzaga in this game. I was a Gonzaga better. I grabbed them as soon as the line came out last weekend at minus eight and a half. And I just thought that Gonzaga was the best team all year long. I thought this was the second year in a row they were the best team all year long. And I felt like even though they didn't look great uh, in the opening weekend, you know, struggling a little bit in that first half against Norfolk State, and then playing a really tough game with Memphis where they were down big at halftime, but resilient and came back, I thought they would get things figured out this week. I really didn't view that Memphis game as a bad thing because Memphis has been playing as well as anyone in the country and presents some unique challenges. But I I thought Gonzaga would rebound and get this thing figured out, come out really strong, and just really blow Arkansas away because Arkansas was a team that did not impress me at all in the opening weekend of the tournament. I had picked and bet on the Vermont Catamounts. I bet them against the spread and money line uh, against the the Hogs. I had uh, bet I had picked Vermont to beat them in every one of the brackets that I did, and and that was not the case. That didn't happen. But Vermont did play them very close. Uh, the Hogs came out with a 75-71 win. And then they had New Mexico State in the next round, and again bet New Mexico State. Um, Got a cover there as Arkansas escaped with a 53-48 win. And Arkansas really did not look good offensively in that game. They had a points per possession of 73.8 points per 100 possessions, which is really bad. 100 is about average. And anything above 100 is considered pretty good. Getting up into like the 120, 125, that's that's a really good number. But 73.8 is is awful. And that's where Arkansas was during that New Mexico State game. So when Gonzaga came out and got off to a quick 5 nothing lead, I thought, here we go, Gonzaga's back, they're going to roll through Arkansas, and that's not what happened at all. I could not have been more impressed with the resiliency and the toughness that Arkansas showed in that game. They took every punch that Gonzaga had, and they responded. So a couple plays in that game really stood out to me. So I mentioned that Gonzaga got up to a, a quick 5 nothing lead. Well, Gonzaga was coming down the court, looked like they were going to get uh, a fast break, a transition layup to go up 7 nothing. and J.D. Note, the star of the game for Arkansas, had a, had a block that, that saved the basket. He went the other way, and they got a bucket to kind of stem the tide. And it was, you know, easily could have been 7 nothing, but J.D. Note kind of saved that early in the game. Then a little bit later in the first half, Gonzaga was up 25-17 to 17 with 640 left. 
Uh, Chet Holmgren had just picked up his second foul about a minute and a half or so later. But Gonzaga, nonetheless, Gonzaga had been on a 9-0 run. They were up 25-17. And from there, I thought, okay, this is it. Gonzaga's going to go on their run. It's They're going to be up 15, you know, 15 at halftime, and just really coast to a win here. And again, Arkansas punched back. And over the next four and a half minutes or so, really led by J.D. Note and his ability to get to the hole, uh, play tough defense. The Arkansas team as a whole played some really tough perimeter defense, forcing some loose ball turnovers. They were able to t- turn that eight-point deficit into a one-point lead with 157 to go in the half, and then eventually would take a three-point lead into halftime. And if you had told me that was going to be the case with 640 left, Gonzaga up eight, I never would have believed you. But all credit to Arkansas, Note, and the rest of the team for really stepping up, playing with toughness, and, and taking Gonzaga's best punch and saying, hey, that's all you got, Gonzaga? We'll punch you right back. So those were some moments to me that really stood out in the first half of that game. And I think that's when I kind of knew, okay, Arkansas is for real. They're not going away anytime soon. I think ultimately in this game, Gonzaga did not get enough from their perimeter guys. Two seniors, Andrew Nemhard and Rasir Bolton. So Nemhard really had a tough game. He had five turnovers. He had a three to five assist to turnover ratio. And between Nemhard and Rasir Bolton, They were only able to get 15 points out of the two of them. They were combined 2 of 11 from 2 and 3 of 10 from 3. That's just not going to get the job done. And I think what you're really seeing is a big difference from last year's team where they had Jalen Suggs. They had Jalen Suggs, who was one of the most reliable backcourt players in the country. And then they could bring in Nemhard to either play alongside of him or even you know, give him a rest at times and play a little point guard. But having Jalen Suggs and Andrew Nemhard together is a little bit different than having to rely solely on Andrew Nemhard and Rasir Bolton. And, you know, nothing against either of those two seniors, really good players, experienced players. Bolton, I think he's on his third. I think he was at Penn State, uh, Iowa State, and then finished this season at Gonzaga, and Nemhard spent a couple years at Florida before coming to Gonzaga and being a really big contributor to these past two Gonzaga teams. But simply, they did not get enough from them last night. And I think the physicality of Arkansas, the aggressiveness of Arkansas, really disrupted them. So, you know, all the credit in the world to Arkansas for for implementing that game plan to perfection. I, I just hard to think, but it's just hard not to think what if Jalen Suggs was on the court? How would this game have been different? And I think at the end of the day, that's really the difference between this year's Gonzaga team and last year's Gonzaga team. Now, one thing you're definitely going to hear Gonzaga fans saying today is, yeah, that's all well and good. We don't have Jalen Suggs anymore, but we do have Chet Holmgren, and he was completely neutralized because of foul trouble, and many would say unjustified foul trouble. I wasn't a huge fan of the calls made on Holmgren on his fourth and fifth fouls, but that that's life. That's kind of how it goes. However, when you juxtapose the fouls called on Holmgren to what Arkansas's Jalen Williams was doing, sliding in front of guys all night to draw these charges, it really made me take a step back and think more broadly about how basketball is officiated and what the rule book looks like. There is no way 
I, I, I don't think anybody out there, I can find anybody out there who would say that they are more entertained by watching somebody slide over from the weak side to take a charge, which is what Jalen Williams was doing all night long, then watch Chet Holmgren challenge a shot in the lane. Look, I mean, maybe I'm way off. I don't think I am. But 100 times out of 100, if I have the option of watching somebody challenge a shot or slide over and take the charge, give me the guy who's going to go challenge a shot. That's just more entertaining basketball. If we're talking about the product of college basketball, which, you know, now is not necessarily the time to talk about that. I have a lot of thoughts on how that's kind of changed and frankly gotten worse over the years. You got to get that that weak side slide over charge call out of the game, and you can't penalize guys nearly as much for challenging the shot. And on, look on the fourth and fifth fouls they called on Holmgren. I mean, he was challenging the shot, but he was staying vertical. He was straight up. I, I thought I thought they were really tough calls on Holmgren, but nonetheless, that that's just kind of how it goes. If Gonzaga is able to get more out of their backcourt. I think they still win the game regardless of Holmgren's foul trouble. So it, it is a tough break for Gonzaga fans. It's a tough break for Holmgren. But look, 21 years ago, Maryland was in a Final Four against Duke, had a 20-plus point halftime lead, blew it in the second half. There was definitely some questionable calls in that second half that, I mean, to this day I would still argue were were not the right calls against the Terps that, that potentially could have cost them that game. However, Maryland went out and won the national championship the next year, which – makes that loss a lot easier. I don't really think about that that blown Final Four lead because they went and got the championship. And I think for Gonzaga fans, whenever Gonzaga does finally break through, all of these moments are going to feel a lot easier for them. So where does Gonzaga go from here? What's the state of the Gonzaga program this morning after seeing the end of Drew Timmy's career as a Bulldog, after... Being seeing Chet Holmgren wave goodbye after his one year, I mean, all but assumed that, that, that he's going to be gone. Andrew Nemhard's a senior, as we talked about. Rasir Bolton's a senior. Uh, they, they really had a couple-year window here where they looked like they were the clear best team in the country, and they, unfortunately for them, weren't able to get it done. And, you know, there's a lot of narrative right now about how Gonzaga can't win because they play in the WCC and they're not challenged all year. I'm just going to tell you right now, I think that's ridiculous. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. This is a program that we've seen go to two national championship games since 2017. If you can get to a national championship game, you can win the national championship. So if they could get to a national championship, those game, those two years, there's no way they can't win that one extra game just because of the conference that they play in. I think it's a lazy narrative. I think it's an easy narrative. And I think it's a narrative that a lot of people who just don't spend time watching college basketball want to trot out whenever Gonzaga loses. To me, Gonzaga is clearly one of the two to three top programs in college basketball right now. Most consistent programs in college basketball right now. Since the 2013 season, so that's 10 years, Gonzaga's earned six number one seeds if you consider that they would have earned a number one seed in the canceled 2020 tournament. Six number one seeds over a 10-year period. To put that in perspective, Kansas, who is probably the most consistent program in college basketball, has earned 
also six number one seeds if you also uh, grant them a number one seed for that canceled 2020 NCAA tournament. Kansas' run has been ridiculous. Kansas also has two two seeds during that time, one three seed and one four seed. So over the last 10 years, Kansas has never not been a top four seed. Over those 10 years, Kansas has one final four appearance. Gonzaga has two national title game appearances. Does anybody ever say that the Big 12 doesn't prepare Kansas for the tournament? Does anybody ever say that Kansas can't win a national title because of the Big 12? I don't think so. I don't think they do. So, look, the tournament, so much of the tournament is, is frankly luck. It's luck. It's matchups. It's who's peaking at the right time. And there's certainly a component of, you know, are you building a team for March? Are you a, are you a coach who is good with quick adjustments on short turnaround? And I have no doubt that Mark Few is. I think he's proved that by getting to two national championship games over the past 10 years. To me, the more difficult part of building a college basketball program is can you consistently get number one, two, and three seeds? Because we've it's pretty much been proven over the past 20 years that you need to be a one, two, or three seed to win a national championship. And Gonzaga is doing that. Six out of every 10 years, they're getting a number one seed. Seven out of every 10 years, they're getting a one or two seed. So 70% of the time, they are putting themselves in a chance where they can compete for a national championship realistically. And every November and December, they go out and prove that they can play with the best. And most marches, including last, last year, they prove they can play with the best. For them, it didn't happen this year. It's disappointing. They're at the end of a two-year window where they had some of the best players in the country, the best players to ever come through their program. Frankly, I don't know what the future holds for them. If I'm betting, I'm betting on Mark Few figuring it out. They don't have a guy like Chet Holmgren coming in in next year's recruiting class. Their only commit right now is Braden Huff, who is a uh, three-star from from Glenbard West in Chicago or the Chicago suburbs. He's ranked the number 163 player in the country, 6'9 power forward. They don't have a Chet Holmgren coming in next year, and they're not returning a Corey Kispert or a Drew Timmy, and they're not bringing in a Jalen Sugg. So are they going to be the number one team in the country next year? No, I don't think they will be. Are they going to be a tournament team? I would certainly bet on it. Is Mark Few going to get them back to this position again? I would certainly bet on it. But, I, you know, I, I would be lying if I said if I was a Gonzaga fan, I wouldn't be disappointed today. Because over the past four years, they've gotten four number one seeds. Again, if you, um, if you agree that they would have gotten a number one seed in the 2020 tournament, and they, they have been no worse. They've finished the season no worse than the number two team in Ken Palm over the last four years. They have an Elite Eight to show for it. They have a canceled tournament, and they have a second-place finish, a runner-up finish to show for it, and a disappointing Sweet 16 exit this year. I can't say I wouldn't be disappointed if I was a Gonzaga fan. However, I think you're going to have to dig a little bit deeper than the fact that they play in the WCC as to why they haven't been able to win the national championship over the past four years. And I would submit that frankly it just comes down to bad timing and luck if last year's Gonzaga team was in this year's NCAA tournament I would have absolute 
confidence that they would run the table and win a national championship. I think that team is significantly better than any team in the tournament this year. I think that they are just unlucky that that Scott Drew put together that Baylor team last year that was right there with them. And frankly, they might have just caught them on a bad night. They might have caught them on a bad night last year. So if they played that game at a different time, maybe maybe Gonzaga wins. If they play it a hundred times, maybe Gonzaga maybe Gonzaga wins fifty five or sixty of them. I don't know, but I, I think so much of a single elimination tournament comes down to timing, matchups, and luck. And for Gonzaga, that that's really all it is. It's not as interesting as yelling that that they they need to switch conferences. But I, I think that's really the truth of the matter. Okay. On to the other game in the West region, and that was the battle between the Duke Blue Devils and the Texas Tech Blue Raiders. Texas Tech came out, and they asserted their style. They mucked that game up. They were physical on defense, just like Arkansas was. They were doing everything that you expect from a Texas Tech team. They were up 33-29 at halftime, and they looked like they were going to really have a shot to just take Duke completely out of their game and, and come away with the victory, send Coach K packing. However, that was not to be the case. I was all set to come on this show today and talk about how, you know, at the end of the day, defense is what matters in this sport. You can grind a game to a halt. You can take a team out of their rhythm, no matter how good they are offensively. I was going to talk about how uh, Arkansas and Texas Tech did the same thing to Gonzaga and Duke or similar things to both of these, these top offensive teams. And then Duke found another gear. Duke did not miss a field goal the last eight minutes and 56 seconds of last night's game just a ridiculous way to close out that game and really reminiscent of what they did against Michigan State uh, a little less than a week ago in the second round when Duke is down and Duke needs it the most they are finding a way to step up their game and find another gear and you know that is the benefit of having guys like Paulo Bancaro and Jeremy Roach because those two were unbelievable when the Blue Devils needed them the most last night. And as good as Texas Tech was defensively last night, as hard as they made life for Duke, we saw some unbelievable shot-making from both of those two guys. And that's really why it pays to have talented guys like the two of them on the court. Because even when a team like Texas Tech is trying to grind the game to a halt, Duke went out and put up 49 points in the second half and came away with a victory. And it, it was really impressive. I, I can't say enough about uh, Bancaro. I can't say enough about Roach, what they did at the end of the game. But I think the guy that really needs to be called out in this game was A.J. Griffin, a freshman. Freshman A.J. Griffin stepped to the free throw line for a one-and-one one with 13 seconds to go. Duke was up by two. Adonis Arms had just made a three to, to make it a two-point game. And A.J. Griffin was going to the line for a one-on-one. And what did he do? He calmly stepped up and drilled not one, but two to make it a four-point game. For a freshman who, I think he was about a a 75% free throw shooter, it would be ridiculously easy to step up to that line, let the moment get the best of you, and have Texas Tech with the ball with a chance to, to tie or win the game. But he drilled both of them. 
And uh, I, I couldn't have been more impressed with with Duke in that game and and the way they came to play offensively in the second half. And you know, it's uh, it's just it's kudos to them. I think the game against Arkansas is going to be interesting because. Arkansas can get up and down the court a little bit more or likes to get up and down the court a little bit more than Texas Tech does. But really, if it's going to come down to a Paulo Bancaro, Jeremy Roach versus J.D. Note and J.D. Note having to outscore those two guys, I just don't have any faith that Arkansas can do it. Uh, obviously, Arkansas was able to shut down one of the best offenses in the game last night in Gonzaga, and, and nobody would have said that, that they thought that was possible necessarily. But I, I just have, after watching that game last night, I just have so much faith in the shot-making ability of this Duke Blue Devils team that, you know, in Coach K's last run, they're almost starting to feel a little bit like a team of destiny. And maybe it's just that they're a really talented team that knows how to find a different gear when the time is right. But whatever it is, the way they have done that in the last two games against both Michigan State and Texas Tech uh, was was super impressive. I thought that Texas Tech, I thought this was the, the time where you know, Texas Tech was going to expose Duke, who I, I'd been a little shaky on all year. I thought that tough defensive style was was going to get the best of them, and for a while it seemed like it was, but it was not to be. Now, something I found that was interesting is four of Duke's six losses actually came to team against teams who have top 20 offenses in Ken Palm. So maybe it's really a high-powered offense that's best designed to take down Duke. Maybe it's not a grinded-out defensive team. Maybe it's somebody that needs to actually just be able to go toe-to-toe with Duke and outscore them. So, you know, I don't think that team is Arkansas, but potentially in the Final Four, they could face a a Purdue team that has the best offensive efficiency in the country. Now, their defense struggles. They, They struggle mightily on defense at times. But maybe, just maybe, that's the type of team that's actually best designed to take down Duke. And, you know, history this year kind of shows that with four of their losses coming against top 20 offensive Ken Palm teams. So something to keep an eye on there. I I do feel like eventually Duke pulls away from Arkansas in in the Elite Eight. I feel like it's a game, you know, not not dissimilar to the one they just played last night or what they played against Michigan State, where it's it's close for, throughout, but the the talent on that Duke roster, led by Paulo Bancaro, just gets the best of their opponent, and and Coach K moves on to a Final Four. Okay, so quick thoughts on the South region. The first game of the night in the South region was Villanova taking on Michigan. Villanova gets the win, 63-55. They were the only favorite to cover last night or win outright, uh, covering a five-and-a-half-point spread. The story of this game for me is something that's been frustrating me all tournament long. It's missing free throws and missing layups. Michigan went 7-14 of at the line and missed countless shots in the paint and it's something that I've seen from losing teams all tournament long and it just kind of comes down to fundamentals if you're not going to make your free throws and your layups you're not going to win the game so you know Michigan was a team that really had baffled me throughout the tournament because I was not a fan of them I did not think they were very good throughout the year I bet against them in every game they played in this tournament and I was dead wrong and then of course I I just laid off it last night because they had burned me too many times before 
but I, I think that it was fitting that that Villanova ended their run. It was a nice little run and a good way for Michigan to end on a, a positive note. What was a really weird season from a team that had top five, top 10, potentially national championship aspirations, but Villanova moves on to the elite eight. And, you know, talking about Gonzaga earlier, there was a time where Villanova was a team that just couldn't get it done in the big dance. Villanova, uh, Jay Wright couldn't win the big game couldn't win a national championship. And then what did he go and do? Well, he won two national championships in three years. Uh, But there was a time he just could not get past the second round. There was uh, a stretch where it seemed like he he just wasn't going to do it. And people were getting frustrated. And I feel like that's kind of where, you know, it's different than Gonzaga, but it's similar, where people are frustrated that Gonzaga can't get it done. And then all of a sudden, it clicked and same thing for Villanova. They were getting ones and two seeds consistently and eventually it, it just clicks. And now here they are again. Uh, it's kind of old hat for them. They're back in elite eight looking to go to another final four. And the team they're going to take on in that, in that elite eight game is the Houston Cougars looking to get back to, to a final four for the second consecutive year, taking down the number one seed in the region Arizona Wildcats, and this is a game that really just felt like it was Houston's from the start. Now, when I talk about defense, this was going to be one of the other reasons I was going to talk about defense tonight, because Houston is defense first and foremost. When you think about Houston, you think about defense and offensive rebounding, and they did both of those things perfectly last night. They had 12 offensive rebounds, and they held Arizona to 60 points. Uh, you can't ask for much more. They are a team that a lot of people, when they think about, you know, what's a fun team to root for, I think it has to be high-powered scoring offense. But I think Houston proves that you can have a lot of fun rooting for a, a defense-first team. They just, the, the, the physicality, the aggressiveness, the way they get after it uh, is just really fun to watch. And I think that goes hand-in-hand hand with the offensive rebounding too, right? That's also physical, aggressive, uh, in your face, they are the they they force the 29th most turnovers of any team in the country by turnover percentage, and they have the third best offensive rebounding percentage. And I think that combination and that style is a really fun style to watch. And now that style has them on the doorstep of a second consecutive Final Four. And got to give all the credit in the world to Kelvin Sampson. He has done such an unbelievable job at that program. Not only just the way he's built it up, but this year in particular, a year after going to a Final Four, and and you know they they lost some big pieces off that team. They lost Quentin Grimes was a huge piece off that team. Dejan Giroux was a huge piece on that Final Four team, but they did bring back some guys. They brought back Marcus Sasser, who then got hurt and hasn't played in a game in the calendar year of 2022 the last game he played was december 22nd 2021 that's a huge injury for them as was the injury to another contributor to that final four team tremont mark who uh, hasn't played since december as well i think he was out even earlier than than sasser december 11th was the last game he played so to lose both of those guys and still win the aac regular season still win the aac tournament uh go into the NCAA tournament as a number four seed and now be in the elite eight one win away from going to a final four. It's just an unbelievable job 
by Samson and everyone associated with that program. And for me, I love it. I placed a bet earlier this year, a 9-1 to bet on Houston to go to the Final Four and a 40-1 to bet on Houston to win the national championship. So I am loving that right now. I'm really looking forward to a stress-free Villanova-Houston game because I, I'm hedging that bet a little bit. Houston is actually a two-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. So I was able to grab Villanova on the money line to hedge a little bit. Uh, we'll win still a good a bit more if Houston wins, but guaranteeing myself a win either way there. And and um, just looking forward to sitting back, relaxing, and, and enjoying that game. If I had to pick this game, if I had to bet this game, I think I would go with Houston. I would go with Houston just for the sole reason that they are able to make you so uncomfortable offensively. And we know that Villanova can go through these stretches where if they're uncomfortable, they will miss a lot of threes. They are a, a hugely three-point reliant team, and they're a great three-point shooting team. Uh, they 46% of their field goal attempts are threes at 17th most in the country. But if they are missing, uh, it's going to be a problem for them. And I think Houston can can make them uncomfortable on the perimeter and force them to, to miss some of those threes. They are 10th in the country in opponent three-point shooting percentage. So opponents are only shooting 28.9% from three against Houston. So if I had to pick it, give me Houston. Uh, but I'm just looking forward to a really fun game there. All right, on to the Friday night slate of Sweet 16 games. We'll start in the East with Purdue minus 13 versus St. Peter's, then followed by UCLA minus two and a half versus North Carolina. Uh, the winners will play on Sunday in the Elite Eight, in the Midwest region, we have Kansas, minus seven versus Providence, and Miami, minus three versus Iowa State in the uh, nobody expected us to be here bowl between those two those two teams, the 10 and 11 seeds, respectively, in the region. So the game I am looking forward to most on this slate has to be UCLA against North Carolina. Two true blue buds in every respect in this sport. And North Carolina, I don't think anybody has played better through two games of the NCAA tournament than North Carolina has. UCLA is a little banged up with that Jaime Jaquez injury, but he is expected to play tonight. How healthy he is, I guess we'll find out. Uh, I think that's going to be a huge factor in that game. But UCLA looked really good in their second round win over a solid St. Mary's team, a uh, 72-56 win. And in that game, uh, UCLA's offense was as efficient as can be, putting up almost 128 points per 100 possessions. So just a really impressive offensive effort there. And then holding St. Mary's to 99.4 points per possession. So uh, offense, extremely impressive in that game, and I think that'll be the most fun matchup of the night. As soon as this line dropped last week, I went ahead and grabbed UCLA, and I'm going to stick with it. However, I am am not too confident about it at all. I think one of the things I learned during the first weekend of the tournament is that I was putting too much stock into things that happened during the regular season and not putting enough stock into 
how teams are playing right now and how they are matching up. And North Carolina is the perfect example because I was in on Baylor big last weekend because I had, I just had scars from North Carolina. I saw them get blown out by Miami in the regular season. I saw them get blown out by Wake. I bet on them against Virginia tech in the ACC tournament. And uh, I think we all know how that worked out because Virginia tech actually absolutely put them away in, in route to the ACC tournament title. So uh, I think I was putting a little too much stock into things that were maybe not so relevant now. And based on these first two games of the tournament, North Carolina has been as impressive, if not more impressive, than any team in the country. So uh, I am sticking with my UCLA bet because I, I do think they've been the more impressive team uh, all year long. I think... Um, they're the better all-around team. However, the way North Carolina is playing right now, I, I don't love the pick at all, so I'm definitely not investing anymore in it. Uh, I might even do a little bit of a buyback on North Carolina and just make that a, a half-unit bet on on UCLA and see how it plays out because I am, I am not loving that one at all from a betting perspective. I don't think there's a huge edge there. But I am excited to watch that game. That is the game I am, am most interested in watching tonight. As far as the other games go, uh, from a gambling perspective, I grabbed Purdue minus 12 and a half as soon as that line came out earlier this week. It's up to 13 now. I think this is just the end of the line for St. Peter's. They've had an unbelievably impressive run. But look, typically when 13, 14, 15 seeds get to this point in the tournament, that Cinderella run comes to an end. Purdue is tailor-made to just destroy low majors like St. Peter's with the with the big guys they have inside uh, with, with Williams and Edie. I also have player prop bets on Williams and Edie rebounds tonight. So uh, if you can find those, I would definitely take those uh, because I think they're just going to dominate the glass. So big on Purdue, big on Purdue rebounding props. Uh, in the Midwest region, I am liking Providence against Kansas. I, I took Providence plus seven and a half. Look, Kansas typically plays close games in the NCAA tournament, and Providence has proven over the first two rounds that maybe they they deserve a little more credit than than they've been getting. Uh, the computers still don't love Providence. They're 32nd in Ken Palm, and they they did hit a ridiculous percentage from three. They shot 50. Uh, they shot 50. 54 54.5% from three, 12 of 22 against Richmond. I, I don't think that's uh, something that you can expect from them every night. But at some point, you do have to look and say, look, Providence is a team that has proven throughout the year they know they know what it takes to win games. They can win close. They keep games close. And I think at this point in the NCAA tournament, you have to give them that respect that 7.5 is too big a number for the team that it was the Big East champion and was able to uh, was able to win the games that they won throughout the year, made it through these first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. So I do think Kansas wins, but I think uh, I think there's some value on Providence at seven and a half. So I took Providence at seven and a half when that first drop down to seven now, and then Miami versus Iowa State. I, I don't really don't have a play in that game. Uh, I'm gonna watch it and you know see if there's anything that pops out to me from a, a live betting perspective. Both teams have been great defensively throughout the tournament, so maybe uh, we'll get lucky and there'll be a flurry of points right in the beginning. That uh, live total will shoot up a bit, and we can 
we can grab a, a, a good number on the under there. That might be something I'm looking for. Um, but we'll just have to see what angles pop up on that game. Well, we can only hope tonight's games are as fun as last night's games were. Enjoy them while you have them, everybody. We only got a few weeks left of college basketball, so enjoy each and every one of these games. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.